Hello and welcome to Huge Ass Paddock Pass, episode 8. I'm Tom Ellison, with me in the booth is Andrew Fawcett. Hello. And Alexander Cofford. Yo. How are we doing today, boys? Good, I got the Alexander introduction. <laughs> yeah, we're being very formal today. Very formal um, today. I'm good, I'm good. So, uh, I think we're a little bit tired. We had a long weekend last weekend. <laughs> yes. Um, Cofford's been off on the high seas as well in, a, in an exciting uh, Being a pirate. Being a pirate. Yep. <laughs> um, but I take it, despite all our trips, we still managed to see the British Grand Prix. Yes, I got to watch it with some HJ boys. Ooh, the HJ viewing experience. It was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it was uh, like five or six of us all together watching the race. All so friendly fun. and cozy like. Yeah, we could share. It was fun because we could share our opinions immediately instead of having to type them into our group chat. <laughs> <laughs> you get immediate feedback. Exactly. All right. So. <laughs> So what was the opinion of the team on the race? I think the general consensus from, from everyone that I talked to was that it was a pretty darn good race. Um, I think it was. I think it was, too. I think that um, it was a bit of a bummer with the Giovinazzi spin, but other than that, I think that there were some really great battles, and um, yeah, I, I think it was an overall solid race. I uh, I had a couple beverages on my pirate themed cruise <laughs> and for whatever reason i was like oh man i get to watch the british grand prix out in the ocean um not remembering which day i got back which was two days before the actual grand prix <laughs> uh, and so i was like okay that's fine i get to watch um i get to watch qualifying uh yeah i don't i don't know so but yes i did get to watch it um but unfortunately in the comforts of my own home a couple days later well, there's nothing wrong with that yeah, it's all right so Lewis obviously won the race again, again. Yay! So is he now nailed on world champion for mm. twenty nineteen? Yeah, I'd, I would say barring barring issues such as last year with McLaren where they had a crack chassis, you couldn't figure it out, or you know something drastic where they just can't figure out something mechanically wrong and it screws him over. Uh, you know he's kind of he's kind of got this. Yeah, I kind of agree. And I also think that um, from a team perspective, I think Mercedes is probably going to start prioritizing him more. Obviously, he's got the lead in the points, and I think it's going to be a little bit more of a Valtteri running more support than he has well, I previously. Mean, I, don't but they, I don't think they need to prioritize anyone at this no, point. No, I don't think like, they do, but... I, traditionally I, yeah. and historically, like prioritization has been given to a driver because there's been a a fierce challenge from another team's driver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Battle, true. Alonso, whoever. In this case, like no one's really stepping up. Um, yeah. And, and we saw I, in Silverstone, like they they were allowed to go for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are some pretty awesome overtakes and re-overtakes uh, from the Merc boys. So it was exciting to see them not line up and just kind oh, of. Oh yeah one after the other but i agree i don't think bodice is going to give up and i don't think mercedes is going to throw all their weight behind hamilton um because don't get me wrong i think mercedes wants hamilton to win he is extraordinarily marketable he has a storyline um of all the world championships and all the wins and stuff and bottas is not exactly super marketable and personable mm -hmm. So I think they would prefer he's, Hamilton yeah, to win. He's very Finnish. He's very yeah. Finnish. <laughs> Which, you know, has its ups and downs. But I, I think I, yeah, I think they're just going to probably do a little bit of strategy stuff where 
if it comes down to it where one driver has to pit on the optimal lap, they'll give it to Lewis. But other than that, I don't think they're going to yeah. pull any multi-21s or anything. Yeah, I don't think it'll be too blatant. Just because they, they, they're not under pressure. They, don't, they yeah. don't need to be playing those games. That's fair. Um, Speaking of not under pressure, yes. if they won two and Ferrari three fours, um, I forgot what it is, but they can actually <laughs> clinch the championship in just a couple races. Mm. The, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, for I sure. believe it. Um, they've been so dominant this season, and yeah. and actually, it's been strange because it's not like it was a couple of years ago when Mercedes had such a clear car advantage that they could just dominate every single race. Right, I think like they had issues season, at, at um, Austria. Austria. So they're not Austria, impervious. They had they they would you know Leclerc would have won in Bahrain mm-hmm. until his issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you could argue that maybe Leclerc or Vettel should have won in Azerbaijan as well. Yeah, um, Canada as well. Canada as well. Like yeah. this is not a case of Mercedes being invincible. This is a case of other teams shooting themselves in the foot for mm. whatever reason. And yeah, or bad luck. Them stroll or, towards yeah. this. Uh, um, you make your own luck, as far as I'm concerned, in Formula One. Yeah. Like, but mechanically, you don't make your own luck. And, you know, sure, they had their chances and stuff with Red Bull and, and Ferrari, but Mercedes doesn't make mistakes. They don't right. have to stress their motor and their chassis to that limit because, you know, we listed a couple places where they didn't win or they weren't the favorite to win, and but that's not the norm. It, Right. More than half the races, they are the better team. And the difference is when they are the better team, it's by a long shot. Yeah, that's true. When it's when it's a circuit and a, and a style of, uh, of race that really suits their car, they are on top. Yeah. When Leclerc got past, I think it was Verstappen, maybe it was Vettel, I don't remember. He come, came on the radio and he's like, Where, where's Bottas? Where's Bottas? Like, you know, trying to go get him. And the radio came over. 26 seconds ahead just just don't worry about it Charles please (laughs) yeah but I was I was just really really happy in those initial laps to see them really going for it and no it was great um, racing um and 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 like props to both drivers I mean Lewis I was astonished how long he was able to stay behind Valtteri um very close for break right on under his wing for several laps at a time which yep. is not easy in a modern Formula One car, and then Valtteri with a really great defense, and then the re-overtake through cops into, into cops at 180. Was yeah, that was just phenomenal. Like I, I saw Lewis get by, and I was like, okay, that's the end of it. Like Lewis is just going to pull away, but then Valtteri just goes right back, like super aggressive, which I don't feel like we've seen a ton of that from Valtteri. We haven't, but it was right. really, really good to see. Like he didn't just pull over and and say, okay, Lewis got me. Like he's like, I got to run. I'm going for it through a flat-out yeah. corner. And it was great racing. It was a great pass. It was great. And it was, yeah. yeah. And it was completely fair on both sides. Like Very clean. The right amount fair. of room was given. Everyone was being nice. And like it was great racing. Absolutely. Yeah, it was um, great racing. But aside from that, we also had some pretty good battles between uh, the young boys in the field. <laughs> Charles yeah. and Max. Yeah. Um, I think, and I think a, li- a little yeah. bit of a hangover from Austria, maybe. I think so. I think, I think Leclerc was... He had that in the back of his mind, I think. Oh, for sure. As soon as he saw Max in his mirrors, um, he was like, all right, I know what I'm going to do this time. I'm going to defend. <laughs> I'm going to drive properly. And it was great. I thought that was also pretty clean, um, considering considering what fair. happened in Austria. It was fair, it was fair. racing. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I think that I think this is going to – I'm looking forward to this rivalry growing because um, I can definitely see this being the new Lewis-Sebastian Vettel – 
kind of I mean, rivalry. This, this could be a rivalry story for the next 10 years in yeah, this sport. Absolutely. There's easily. some really good young people. Uh, Lando is going to be up there, too. Mm-hmm. Lando had a Lando great drive. The... George Russell is going to George be up George Russell, as we oh, yeah. discussed. Absolutely. Like, we, think, we think very highly of him. Mm-hmm. Two, that... two thumbs up from the HJ crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really makes me excited to hear that it's not... Well, you know, obviously with teams, it can always be a one-horse race or a two-horse race, but talent-wise, man, Formula One's got some good young talent. Yeah, I think it's pretty yeah. deep. And uh, I'm... I'm I really, I really want Williams to to pick the pace up with their car, and I really want to see what George Russell can do in like a properly sorted car. I think he's done enough to maintain his place, and to, yeah, if not necessarily for Williams to to move on, I hope they do. Obviously, they're a historic name in the sport, but even if they don't, I think he's done enough to you know maybe slide into a McLaren seat in the next mm-hmm. couple of years. Well, and I think I think George has really done a he's done such a good job on the track but i feel like part of what has made him so successful is his interviews and his off-track attitude like he interviews very well he's always very positive um and and i think that is something that is very valuable in today's formula one to have a driver that is marketable so i I, i'm looking forward to see what george can do but uh yeah not a good race from him I love seeing the shit stirs in the interviews and stuff like that and the goofiness of Daniel Ricciardo. But, um, <laughs> but no, but for real, George Russell is a good breath of fresh air. If, you know, you can't have everyone being one personality. Mm-hmm. And Russell kind of fits a mold that I think is kind of missing, especially from not the front runners, because Hamilton and Seb, they always do a very good job of being proper and thanking everyone. And, you, you know, even when Seb messes up, like with Verstappen, you know, like he goes he, and like apologizes. Did, yeah. Yeah. Or the race before when Austria, in Austria, where they, you know, he couldn't qualify because his car was messed up. He went out and he, you know, gave a hug and a handshake to every single engineer there. So there is that up front, but it's really good to see a young guy with a bright future that is maybe a little bit less of a twat than Lando Norris. <laughs> but I love Lando, so I, I'm not making, you know, I'm not ragging on him too hard. Yeah. And Lando had a good drive. Lando did uh, uh, pretty well, both McLaren. He's, he's, he's been doing well this season. Yeah. Um, like, science we know is good. Yeah. And Lando's been right up there with him. Yeah. Um, and you have to judge each each drive against their teammates, especially their established yeah. as, as Carlos Sainz. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm genuinely, I mean, pleasantly surprised about Lando. I, I, I was worried at the start of the season that he would kind of fall on his face and what he, you know, was racing against the big boys, he, he wouldn't quite stack up. But, I mean... Even against his teammate, who has several years' experience in Formula One, he's been impressive. So, yeah, good for yeah. Lando, too. I agree. People who have not been impressive as a team, as a <laughs> main sponsor for a team and the drivers. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. so, are we going to talk about rich energy, are we? <laughs> don't you well, mean they're not lightning, rich energy Lightning anymore. volt energy or whatever lightning it's called. Volt energy. <laughs> Let's call it what it really is, which is a money laundering scam from Eastern Europe. <laughs> I... When I first saw the name change, I really thought someone was just on Twitter making a joke, like the Jolt Cola thing. I did too. And no, this is this is a, this is depressingly real. Unfortunately, do they have a product? I they claim they're an energy drink. Um, I, I've seen people drinking Rich Energy. I saw Chris Harris post a video on his Twitter of him like drinking a can of it. Um, but I've not. I've seen it on Amazon, but I think that's about it. But. I wow. think they have a product. 
And they stole the that logo from a mountain bike company or something. Yeah. <laughs> Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I'm not entirely um, convinced that they didn't just like buy a bunch of Red Bull and then just like recan them like and yet somehow they're title sponsors to a Formula 1 team with a commitment of like 40, 40 million euros a year or yeah. something Ooh. I it's something like that right I absolutely love we, well, the sketchy sponsors I think it's all through the years of motorsports it just like well, there was there was a there was a rich history of such things rich history yes. so since we're talking about the See, sponsors like let's, <laughs> let's talk about how poor it's from top to bottom. So when they said that they're walking away from Haas because of performance reasons, and this was the CEO who's ousted, but said he wasn't ousted. Right. And so they had, there's emails back and forth and essentially Haas said, you know, you'd be on the hook, but for, you know, the money, but you can walk away. And so they did that, but they thought that meant they're on the hook until they walk away instead of throughout the entirety of the sponsorship. <laughs> like, you sign the well, check, or you sign the contract, you right. owe us the money. That's that This works. is why you have lawyers. This is, <laughs> lawyers will tell you what the situation is. <laughs> that's why you have contracts to start, you know, like, that's, you say, right. hey, this is how much money over the period you owe us, and if you back out, you still owe us the money. Because and these are how, the consequences. That's how God. business works. <laughs> And to see all this on Twitter, like official God, documentation so and stuff, it's like this is all going to be in court. It's and so good. <laughs> we also, get I love ringside it. tickets. To I cannot watching. wait for the Netflix special next year. Oh, it's going to be so. I, good. I really I hope. Hear. I really hope they get William Story, like the the rich energy guy, like somehow interview him. Oh, but geez. I just want to hear what what Gunter has to say. I, w- I want to hear Gunter's take on this, and it's going to be good. You know, it's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be very good and very <laughs> vulgar. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to be a little bit more pessimistic about this. Um, there has been rumors that Gene Haas is getting tired of this whole situation. Mm-hmm. And getting tired of not winning, you mean, or tired of the rich energy issue? Tired of yeah, it, t- I don't uh, know. Formula but one. I think it's a Formula One, and this is just rumors that I've seen on F1 Technical and stuff like that, where he is, where Gunther has, you know, reached out to him about certain business things, and it's been lazily responded to or not, you know, responded to at all, in a sense of, like, he's kind of, and this is total guesstimation, right? But, man, the team's floundering. It seems like the owner's not really involved, and the team principal is pissed at his drivers as he, he should be as yeah. he should be frankly i mean what i'm sorry i and i and i hold myself responsible for this i've defended roman Grosjean a fair amount over the years mm-hmm. but what's he doing i uh, think i think you sack him mid-season don't, don't, don't be crashing into the pit lane on yep. friday absolutely like just you've got a hundred plus grand prix you've you, you're better than that, Roman. Just... I, I, I genuinely think Haas would be better off to fire Roman and, and bring someone else in. I just don't feel like he... like he's got Obviously, he's got the experience under his belt, and I don't think he's got anything to show for it. Like, crashing in the pit lane, hitting his teammate multiple times. Like, How many times has he hit his teammate this season? It's, it's like, been a fair few. Right. It's just... And it's not like the incidents are... are like they're racing hard it's like stupid things you know like where you yeah. just shouldn't hit your teammate 
that's what driving, I find the issue with. This is not what we're talking about with Lewis and Valtteri where, mm-hmm. oh, we're trying to go for this battle and, you know, someone can be ahead and really prove themselves. It's just like, it's almost mental laziness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to describe Roman is... Yeah, he, he's completely... Like as good as he can up. be, it's like sometimes he's, I don't know, not paying attention to what he's doing. Yeah. Most of the times on lap one, but this season is kind of whenever. I just think his spurts of excellence don't outweigh his his <laughs> poor mis- his poor decision making and his mistakes. I, I don't I think K-Mag may not be like the best driver on the grid, but I definitely think that he's... He's certainly not the most likable. Well, yeah, but he's, I think he's a solid fit for Haas, at least for the rest of the season. Um, yeah, he'll he'll do a job. Like, yeah, if yeah, I'm gonna be all right. have a list of let's pretend everyone's free agents and you start your own team, you know, K Mag's gonna be in that top twenty drivers. I don't think Roman's yeah. in the top thirty. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, he's uh, behind Brendan Hartley for me. I think so too. Bring back Brendan. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't agree with that. I think Brendan. <laughs> I don't know why you guys have a big old boner for him, but you know, Stoffel. I, I, I want to bat yeah. for him every single time. Well, I was thinking Stoffel um, honestly, and uh, and and there's a couple of of Formula E drivers that I think. Uh, John Eric Fern, just yeah. waiting, waiting for his recall. Yeah. Um, Ocon, and and yeah. this goes back to the whole thing that we talked about last time. It's a shame that we only have ten teams because all of these super talented names are waiting for their call, and it's not going to happen unless there's a big reduction in operating costs by the twenty twenty one budget correct agreement, yeah. which is still ongoing. Um, yeah. I saw some news about it today. You know, the drivers actually, like people like Lewis and Seb, are getting increasingly vocal with the FIA about what they think are the technical changes that need to be made with these uh. new reg packages, uh, particularly around tyres. Um, we could see some changes there. Yeah. And hopefully, like, they have a reasonable budget limit in place that can be enforced in a transparent way that maybe would then lower the, the barrier of entry. To yeah. the sport yeah. and enable some smaller teams to step up. I'd really like to see the new regulations promote like more teams. I know Porsche is just starting to do Formula E stuff. Like, how cool would it be to see a rather large company like Porsche, you know, have an F1 entry back, back in Formula E? Yeah, like that'd be so cool to have them back. And they have some. I feel like Porsche's got a really deep like driver pool too. Um, For sure, you know. So uh, I, I I hope the new regs, I really hope that they are a little bit more monetarily friendly to the teams that don't quite have the uh, funding. Yeah, it's That's hard so because fun. the manufacturers that come in, come in with a goal of winning. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand that. And I'm not saying that's a wrong thought process at all. But we've seen Haas, and I know that Haas has struggled in the last, you know, four, five, six races. But come in partner with an existing team, partner with Delara, and run for about 30 to $40 million a year, which is astronomically low compared to a lot of the other teams. It and is, f- when, but when you're buying your technology from Ferrari pretty much wholesale, then... I, I agree, I agree. I'm not saying that it's a winning formula, but I would just like to see more companies hop in, you know, like... Uh, I don't know, maybe tech companies or maybe something else that would bring something other than an auto manufacturer in 
Otherwise, I feel like they're only going to come in to win. Mm-hmm. Google F1. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be cool. Um, They've got a lot of capital. They've got a lot of cash. Why not? Why not lose it going motor motor racing? But uh, so the other issue at Haas, other than the driver issue, is the car. Like they went What's back. What's wrong with that then? Right. Like they went back to the the Melbourne spec car. Like. <laughs> And that, it didn't work. It right. didn't work. Well, they didn't race long enough to really find out if it. <laughs> like, I feel like they didn't race long enough to like establish any data. But like, how bad must it be that they have to go back to their car from the first race of the season? There's some fundamental issue with yeah. this. Yeah, the, and, and the, so that is deep all in, through deep in the design. Yeah, that's all through CFD because McLaren went through that two years ago. Ferrari's going through that right now. They have talked about running their. Um, floor of a previous spec um, so I think it's all aero and CFD that they just have backwards obviously that's what's wrong with Williams right they got mm-hmm. the aero package and their, and their entire package so backwards that um, at the end of last year going through corners they're creating lift in certain areas and that's why Stroll and all those guys were just like doing 720s yeah. um, and, that, and that really reinforces how important it is to have a technical director that knows what they're doing with this stuff. Like Adrian Newey? Like Adrian Newey. Yeah. My personal hero in Formula <laughs> 1. Um, do you think there's, there's, uh, Do you think Williams could afford Ross Braun? No. no. I don't think Ross would be interested in the challenge, frankly. He's got a, he's got a bigger mandate now. Yeah. As someone who's really driving the direction of the sport as part of the Liberty team. Mm-hmm. And he, I think that that phase of his life is is over. I agree. I don't think there's a dollar sign that would sway him. No right. matter how many zeros you put behind, I think it's a challenge. I mean, certain people are driven by challenges. Mm-hmm. He's one of them. Ron Dennis is another, for better and for worse. And yeah. in a lot of those people, uh, yeah, I think if you took him out of that spot, he would fight and claw to get back in yeah. rather than to do whatever else. No, I mean, that's, that's a fair... I mean, the being proposed with you know, fixing Williams or completely driving a new era of Formula One. Obviously, the one is more, much more prestigious and and will have a more lasting impact. So, back yeah. to uh, back to the race. And one thing I love about Silverstone is it's kind of the spectacle that they make before the race. Mm-hmm. And seeing Frank Williams in the car with oh, Lewis, that was so that great. was really <laughs> really cool. That was so was crazy. Um, I loved uh, Claire. She was like, uh, she said to Lewis, she was like, if you're tired of winning, you can come and drive one of our cars and see what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Call it like it is, Claire. <laughs> I like Claire, though. She's um, great. I do, too. Great. Yeah. Okay, so we should talk about the, uh, the elephant in the room, the incident, as it were, between uh, Sebastian and Max. I... I don't think there's any controversy about it. No, I, I'm not saying there's controversy. I'm just thinking, what the hell was it? And why? I can't believe Max did that. Like, why Why would he put his car right in front of Seb's yeah. car? Why, why would he defend like a normal person? <laughs> it wasn't yeah. a sketchy defense. It wasn't like he breaks early. It was he, just... wasn't, he wasn't breaking early. He wasn't moving about across the track too much. Like, no, he was just breaking was on the a, inside line. for. It was a fairly yeah. standard defensive line. And Seb, for whatever reason, and got disoriented and braked far too late and just couldn't avoid him. Yeah. Yeah. But this is not 
the way a four-time world champion should be driving. No. That's what I would expect to see from Lando or George or Russell Charles. or Charles. Yeah, exactly. But Charles, but Charles not making those mistakes. That's the no. thing. Like, it, it's it, it's yeah. really symptomatic of where Vettel's head is at the moment, I think. Yeah. And you know what? I think he retires at the end of the year. At this you think? Point. I think I think he does. Huh. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I genuinely wouldn't be. He he has no... Um, there's only downside if he continues yeah. at this point. I agree with that part, but I don't agree that he retires. I, I don't know. I think I think he's got that little bit of drive of, I have to do it. Not saying that he's going to do it well, because he has struggled this year, and Ferrari as a whole. And I think that's kind of the battle, right? Is Ferrari struggling, and that kind of puts him off, and then he's struggling, which puts Ferrari off and back and forth. Yeah, but we saw this last year as well. Mm-hmm. Like He, he, he didn't had have the a chance to fight back. Yeah. And he was making silly mistakes again. And this yeah. season, like, you know, you just thought, okay, bad season last year. Take the winter to reset. Mentally come back. You've got a better car this year. Got a we new thought. teammate. Right. Well, Valtteri did that. Valtteri didn't have a great season last year. And I right. would, he's, it's like a 180 almost. He came back. Yeah. He came back mentally stronger. Yeah. And Vettel's come back and he's been further off the pace with respect to his teammate. Yeah. And making the same silly mistakes that we saw last year. I would argue worse. Like this is worse than than driving the car off at at Germany. Like this is yeah. The, yeah. The, this uh, this incident at Silverstone wasn't great at all. No, but he's been he's been making silly mistakes all season. Like he spun in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. He crashed the car in. Um, Man, Clank's on suicide watch right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if you were a Vettel diehard fan that followed him to Ferrari, like. Yeah. You know what? I I honestly do believe that he will be seriously considering retiring at the end of the season. I wouldn't like be surprised. Charles, Charles is clearly a star of the future. Yeah. And someone that Ferrari can build a team around. Yeah. I, I definitely see Ferrari going all in on Charles and, and, and then, almost, maybe you know, just, maybe going the Max Verstappen route, like saying, Hey, this is a guy that we know we can win with. Why don't we do whatever we can to make him win? Well, also, or you could just put Danny Rick in the second Ferrari seat oh, and really have some fun. God. Would you like that? That would make me so <laughs> happy. Ugh, that would be awesome. I, that that would be my dream <laughs> scenario for 2020, frankly. I, I would retire Danny Rick. I don't care. He'd be finishing fourth. <laughs> okay, all right. And he'd be beating Max. <laughs> he'd, he'd, be, he'd be getting a win a couple of times a season, yep. for sure. Yep. I don't care if he's not... If, if he's worse than than charles I, that doesn't bother me at all um i think that danny he deserves a good seat in a top three team and but he had one he had left. one <laughs> well he had one but he i don't really think he had it was either he stayed and you know played i agree with this choice or, choose yeah. your adventure is better than being number two and wondering yeah. And I'm yeah. not saying it's the right choice for his career, but if I was in, in that situation... In retrospect, it may have been the wrong choice, but it's still the one he had to make, I think. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's the wrong choice, but you'd make that wrong choice every time. Unless, right. you know, you're Kimmy who just shows up to drive because that's all he wants to do. And has an ice cream and everyone's happy. Kimmy, yeah, well, ice cream with a lot of liquor in it. I feel like Kimmy always... I don't know what it is, but he has—he always has super quiet. Maybe I mean he's—he's he's towards the back of the pack, obviously, so they're not covering him as much. But I feel like there's been a lot of races this season where he's just had a really quiet run and he gets like a solid eighth place finish. It's great. That's yeah. exactly, and that's exactly what they want. It's perfect. Like Alfa like Romeo, 
is not the quickest team out there, but like somehow they always end up scoring like solid points. Not with they Antonio, but <laughs> no. no. <laughs> hey, he has but a point. He has he has a point. The yep. point. Yes, causing um, full safety cars. Why? That's the other thing I was kind of curious about. Why do you think they went with a full um, safety car as opposed to a VSC? That's kind of a it's kind of a bad place where he spun right. It was the inside yeah. of club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're on the infield there at pit entry to, and you know as soon as the VSC comes out the cars are going to be trying to pit which means you've got cars coming past you on both sides when you're trying to recover a car in the middle with some heavy machinery I think it's the right decision to put out a full safety car yeah. and really control them back the pack up to give the marshals a chance to recover the vehicle yeah that was such it, a weird it, incident too it played to Lewis's favour just because uh, of the timing yeah but uh, I mean, I'm, that's those yeah. are the rubs. Like, I'm, I'm, it happens. I'm kind of bummed. I felt like we were kind of robbed of um, a second battle between Lewis and Valtteri. Yeah. I think ultimately, the result would have probably been the same. I don't think that Valtteri really had the pace in the end to hold off Lewis. Well, he didn't like so. So if you think about it, right, Lewis was on a one stopper and Valtteri would have been on a two. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd yeah. have had you'd have had the scenario at the end of the race when Lewis was on. Fresh, the end of his hard older tires. Lewis would have been on the older hard tires, yeah. and Fred would have been on a set of newer, fresher mediums, yeah. which was the case. Just they were they was twenty seconds apart rather than four seconds apart because right. of the safety car. Lewis set the fastest lap of the race on the final lap. God, what a lap! I'm on a... his old set of hard tires, like he had no pace issues at all. Yeah, I. Yeah, he was controlling that race. I think he would have controlled it regardless. Yeah. No, I he agree. Get... I, I definitely think he. I, the result, I think, would have been the same, but I think yeah. it would have been a little bit more. It, it would have been a little bit more interesting if they'd been yeah. closer on track, for sure. Um, but good but race. We've had I two good races in a row. I can't believe he it's... did that fast lap at the end, like when he crossed the start finish line for the end of the race, and he set the yeah. fastest lap. I was just like, and then I was like, well, surely Valtteri's got it in him. Like he's on four lap old tires. Like he's gonna come back and nope, no, he no. couldn't do it. Yeah, so good driver. And that's that's, and that's why Lewis is going to win the world championship this year. <laughs> He's going to get number five. That's, yeah, I think so. Yay, yay! Um, so good race. We've had two good yeah. races in a row. Um, Austria was great. Silverstone was pretty good. Hockenheim and next. So, is Hockenheim excellent? Yeah, yeah, it should be all right. Hockenheim's always. I feel like decent. It's a good race. Yeah, there's some really good, good passing opportunities. Bit of rain would spice things up as well. We haven't really had a wet, wet race this year yet, yeah. so that'd be yeah. nice. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so speaking of speaking of races and exciting races and disappointments, <laughs> um, uh. we we touched last episode on the Champ Car huge ass entry to Indianapolis. We were all very excited, and then what happened? Um, it's kind of a. A repeat of Watkins Glen, unfortunately. Well, uh, but, thankfully, but, but actually, it was thankfully it's yeah. not as bad as Watkins. <laughs> we didn't drive the car to the racetrack and then it sat there all weekend to do anything. It sat right. at home doing nothing. So uh, yeah, we had to withdraw the entry. Yeah, which is a shame. There's no, there's no two ways yeah. about it. Yep. But it was the responsible thing to do. Yeah, I definitely think that's right. I mean, and. Having experienced Watkins Glen, it was the only call. I, I don't think you could do anything but do that. Uh, the car was still struggling with some of the same issues that it had been struggling with before, and 
it just put it irresponsible to try to drive it out there and hope that we could fix it at the track. Um, and then to throw away an entire entry fee yeah. on that yeah. on that gamble. Yeah. So it's it's really unfortunate and um, it it sucks. It just sucks. But we made the best of it. I think that um, Hijas is good at at uh, making the best of crappy situations. Um, I was when when I when I first heard from Tom that the car wasn't going, my first thought was David Haynes, who is our friend from Australia, who'd come. Uh, to race the car at Indianapolis and I was like the first thing I thought was like oh no like David paid for time in the car and he's not going to get to to race um, and, but, I, and I was very cognizant of that yeah. I, I felt really bad that we had to make the decision yeah. given the commitment and time and money that, that everyone not just David but everyone no yeah everyone to, uh, put into the entry and people had um, people that weren't driving had paid for pulling tickets and, and right, accommodation right. and everything like everyone was all in um, including I was, myself, I in for, yeah, I, yeah. You and I were both in for uh, for travel plans. Yep. I had plane tickets. We all had accommodation, yep. Airbnb uh, reservations. So but yeah, we yeah. made the best of it. Yeah, we made the best of it. Um, Alex, the called or messaged me, basically like the night before we pulled out, and was like, "Hey, if the car doesn't go, would you be willing to drive David to Indianapolis?" And I'd already had the time off, and I already had accommodations in an Airbnb, and um, I think after talking to a few other people and ever, a few other people were like, look, I got a, a ticket that I can't get refunded for the plane. Like might as well use it. So I think that's kind of the attitude everyone had was like, well, you know, let's just go anyway and, and, and make the best of it. So that's what everyone did. I mean, I think a few of people dropped out because of, um, you know, they don't want to make the drive or had things going on that right. they couldn't do. But I think everyone that could have made it went and, we made the best of it. David um, was able to secure a seat with another team that races a Miata with a PVT motor, like exactly like ours, basically. Yep. Um, and I was so, so, so happy to see that he got a ride. You obviously, Tom, got a, a seat with um, our bank in yep, a Saab. The Turbo Saab. <laughs> but I, I think we made the best of it. I had a I had a really fun weekend. It was it was a really fun weekend. Got a road trip. I'd never met David before and. The morning That's I met him, I, I met him in the morning. He showed up at the front door of my house, and we got in the car, and we drove 12, well, it took us like 12 hours to get out to Indianapolis because yep. we had to drive back because he forgot something. But <laughs> <laughs> um, what an introduction. But it was cool. You know, I got to spend a, a day driving with him and, and Derby, and, um, you know, we had fun. We the, the Airbnb was fun. I got to see uh, – I got to meet people, other people that I had never met. I got to meet Devin and um, – and Kyle and I, you know, it really sucked that our car wasn't there, but it was still, you know, a fun weekend. So uh, it was, yeah. and it was it was nice as well to be amongst our own teammates, even though we weren't campaigning ourselves, and to still experience a motorsport event at such an iconic and historic venue. Yeah. Yes. Like we were still in the in the paddock in the pits at, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh yeah, and it was cool. It was cool. There's no yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, like 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 walking in the first day, like you walk, you drive in, you drive in under the tunnel, and and you park, and you start walking, and you see the pagoda in the background, and and you see the corners, and, and you're in that historic place that is enormous. I mean, obviously Massive. you know it's big, but like I've never been there before, and so like you go there, and I've you've wa- I've watched so many Indy 500s and and everything there, but until you're actually in the place you don't know the scale of it it's it's massive 
Um, but it's just cool to be there and, and, you know, you can obviously walk across the yard of bricks, which is super cool. And just the history of the place is just to be there is, is very cool. Yeah. And, uh, they have a really cool museum. If you're ever in Indianapolis, um, <laughs> please, please, please go to the museum. It's 10 bucks, I think. Um, and basically they have almost every Indy 500 car that has ever won or competed in any era from like 1911 until now. Um, and it's very, very cool. Lots of cool history. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it was, it was cool. Um, and David did really, really well too. Um, he's never really he done much track driving. He, he's done maybe one, you know, pay five bucks, pay money for five laps in a, you know, performance car, but he hasn't done any real on track driving. And he set the fastest lap for his team the second day. And, um, I was out there watching him and he was aggressive. I mean, he was making passes and driving like you would expect a much more experienced driver. So I think that says a lot for the sim and what it does for the right. people. And, and that really, that really reinforces, I think really the, the creed and the ethos of our team itself is yeah. that motorsport simulation computer based motorsport simulations where the majority of us got our start and, and, and met each other can act as a very effective precursor and introduction to on track performance driving mm-hmm. um, David obviously did very well we've seen previous examples of that with uh, Evan. Like Nate and Evan mm-hmm. uh, getting in the car and, and performing at a high level um, even personally speaking like I was driving this turbo sub for our bank which are a team that are used to winning in Champ Car, honestly. Yeah, they had some really fast cars. That CRX they, was fast. They've got some quick cars. And, <laughs> was that the yeah, same they, CRX that was louder than no, louder than hell? That's a different louder one. Louder than most things, yes. Okay. Um, I think it's a, yeah. Well, it was loud. Yes. Um, but like they have quick cars and they're used to winning, and mm-hmm. like I was a little bit daunted in, in stepping into a team like that because I have you know a certain amount of track experience, but many in our own car with, with our own pressures and our own expectations mm. this is a team that's used to winning and in a car that's front wheel drive, that's turbocharged that's a lot faster than anything we've we've raced in Champ Car in the past but I was able to get in and due to the experience of the sim I knew roughly what to expect in terms of track geometry and a front wheel drive car and you know I was able to set competitive lap times yeah. straight away and feedback I got from the team was that they were very impressed with, with my stints yeah. and you know I'm welcome to drive with them again so further testament to iRacing yeah. as far as I'm concerned it's awesome and and even and I know this is not a really great comparison but even like we went karting um, one of the <laughs> nights and, and yes, like, we did. <laughs> like my only my only on track experience is like I've done a handful of autocrosses and then the sim but even then like I jump in a, a cart and like right away i'm like can i go flat out through here let's hold it to the floor and see you know <laughs> like and and turns out you could right like right away you have the confidence and the you know you know the proper racing line and, and the ins and outs of the the like the knowledge of what you need to do and then it's just yeah, learning the, how to the apply it. right the fundamentals are still there right so it's and just that was very obvious right. at karting like we were all within a second yeah. of each other yeah. instantly everyone yeah like the first session everyone was like within a second and that could be down and that honestly could be down to the cart your weight you know the traffic that kind of thing but um yeah so it was, it was it was good that we were able to recover some of the weekend and um 
it still was hard that the car wasn't there, but it was. I, I think also <coughs> the good thing too is it's good for the team to have a presence in the paddock um, and I to agree. be to be around. And I think Champ Car and racing in general is very community oriented, and so even if we weren't Champ racing, Champ Car especially, yeah, to have people there and, and talking to people and, and saying we're with Team Hugess, like we, you know, I think that's good to get some FaceTime with people. And we got to meet um, John D. Allen, yep. who is such a cool guy. Um, if you don't know who John Allen is, he's relatively well known on the iRacing platform, uh, mainly for his forays from the virtual to reality contest. He's done several of them and qualified for several of them. Um, and that has actually led to him racing quite a bit um, in real life. And so we got to talk with him. He was supposed to drive with us. Um, at Indy, but obviously that fell through. But we got to still talk to him and, and meet him, and um, he has a wealth of knowledge on racing Miatas and, and racing in general, and um, that was really cool to meet him. I've raced with him on the sim quite a bit, but uh, it was really cool to meet him and kind of pick his brain. and um, Yeah, just to hang out yeah. with a couple of beers and, and chat. Yep. Chat, chat motors recently. Yeah. He's a lovely guy. And that's the cool thing, too. Like, I didn't like I know some about him, but I don't really know him. But like he, we were having dinner at the pub, you know, and he just he showed up and immediately you have something to talk about. Um, right. So it was, it was it was a good weekend. Obviously, we didn't race, but um, yeah. Hopefully, we'll get the car ready for VIR. I think that's that's the one that everyone really wants to to be at. So yeah, that's that's traditionally we term it our family reunion every year. It's the VIR twenty four. That's the one that everyone tries to make an effort to attend. And I think. Among Champ Car, that I mean, it's it's like our Daytona, it's our Le Mans, it's you know, it, it's yeah, it's one of the few true twenty fours that I think any endurance racing series really runs in America. Yeah, there's the Thunderhill twenty five race. Yeah, and then there's a. Do they still do the Nelson Ledges race? Champ Car still run Nelson Ledges yeah. twenty four. They're not doing the Utah twenty four this year anymore, so it's yeah. just Nelson Ledges and VIR. But I mean, so even I mean. There are not many 24-hour races that aren't, like, full professional races. Right. So it's it's pretty a uh, cool experience. It's a great event. Yeah. And we've done it twice now. This will be our third time. Mm -hmm. and, and it's such a unique challenge just physically, mentally, and uh, yeah. in an engineering sense that, that it's really something rewarding to, rewarding to do. So fingers crossed. I know Alex is working on the car. Uh, we have Kevin at Flim Flam. Judas in Richmond. Who's been very helpful. Um, he's been very helpful, and he's t he's sort of taken a personal interest in the car at this point because he's, he sees yeah. it as a personal challenge to him now. I think it's a point of pride. Like he just wants to get the Definitely. thing fixed, you know, which is um, always good to have on your side. That's good. It's good to have someone with that knowledge and that experience on your side, and you know, fingers crossed, they're going to work at it, and we'll get something out there. Yeah. So, racing is a fickle, fickle thing, and uh, I think. You can't have everything go perfectly. I think it time. I think it takes a really crappy season to motivate you. <laughs> um, at least I mean, we, that's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> no, it's true. And, and like we've been, we've been comparatively lucky. Yeah. In a, in our first couple of years of Jam Car, not to have an issue like this. Yeah, I mean, really some teams build a brand us. new car and go out and wreck it. You know. Yeah. We've, we've seen brand new cars hit the track of VAR in previous yeah. years, last two laps, and then be dead for the rest of the weekend. Yeah. So like, we've been very fortunate. This is not, this and is the cars have lost at that point point for yeah. a lot of them, too. Yeah. 
Um, John Allen was telling us about his car. Like he, like someone spun in front of him, and there's nothing he could do. And total, like totally rode off, rode off his car. Like you know, so we've yeah. been fairly lucky. It happens. Yeah. So it's a dangerous pursuit. Yeah. And you know, we will endure and endeavor to be back on track as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going back to the i racing, we were talking about that. We have. Uh, my favorite endurance race coming up, the iRacing 24 Hours at Spa. Yes, we do. Yes, mm. that is uh, this weekend, um, July 20, uh, 20th, 21st. Something like that. 20th, 20th to the 21st. Yes. Um, 24 Hours of Spa. And or as I like to call the... it, 24 Hours of Dodge the Off-Track. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, so this is actually the first endurance race that she, Team Huge has ever won. Mm-hmm. In 2015, uh, and it was the reason for the team forming, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, right? it was. It was truly the genesis of Team Huge Ass, uh, almost almost exactly four years ago to this date, that we put out a car of you know dubious preparation and practice. <laughs> but are you making fun of anyone win? in particular, or just <laughs> just uh, bad as gonna, a whole? I, I'm just gonna mention that someone drove into the pit lane. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say who. I'm not gonna say how or why. Just it did happen. Did is this the race that someone didn't have the pit limiter bound, and they had to drive a whole lap with the pit limiter on? Again, I'm not gonna say if it was or it wasn't. <laughs> That's a yes. <laughs> it may have been, uh, but it doesn't matter. We yeah. we enjoyed the experience enough that. That we thought, hey, let's do that again, yeah. and that is that is the the first step on the journey that has taken us to this point of a real race car, real twenty four hour races, and we still come back and do the i racing ones every weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, they're available. Yep, I'm we looking forward to teams. this race. Yeah, I'm looking for this race um, because last year I've not had any good luck with Spa. So the last two years I've run it. The, no, me neither. The first year, I was with a team of just total noobs, and I mean, I was a noob too, so I can't really complain. But the car with with within t- three hours had been like totaled twice, like two engines, <laughs> you know, like heap of junk. And then last year with Ace, we were running really well, and I had just finished my stint. I was really happy, like I didn't crash the car, you know. I was really happy, and I got out and I like almost instantly the car had been like <laughs> trash and i was like well shit <laughs> <laughs> um but that's that's racing um so i'm looking i'm hoping that's, that this is third time's a charm it's always the goal right always trying to do better than you did the year before yeah um we're all three of us i think are driving the same car this season yes this, this race sorry this year yarp um two cars like so copper was saying Racing yep. the we have um, another team out there as well. Racing the BMW Zip for GT3, mm-hmm. and you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see how be we a do. Fun one. I, I uh, Spa is a little bit different. One class. It's not multi-class, and yep. everyone's, you know, because of it, you're gonna be passing some beat-up cars if you're not, or vice versa. And um, I don't know. Spa is just such an amazing track. It's a great track. It's a great circuit. Yeah. And it, you can get a really good flow going, and mm-hmm. especially in, when you're into your second stint, your second hour, mm-hmm. and you're really down with the car and the track, and it can it's very rewarding to drive in that in that situation. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to to manage traffic too. I mean, between 
it, it, there's just, it's there's such an ebb and flow between since it's such a long track and it's pretty technically difficult like there's such a difference between the driver like you know you might have one guy get in the car and he's really quick and then the next guy gets in and he's not as quick and so there's a lot of ebb and flow with the strategy and, and the, the racing itself and then obviously trying to pass the cars that are beat up and, and you know so it's it's a very it's it's a lot different than Le Mans or Daytona um, and I like that they all have their own unique characteristics yeah it's funny that you mentioned that because you can tell some people base their entire setup off their best driver in the best <laughs> conditions <laughs> and and they are on pole or they're you know they're up there mm-hmm. and you, their second or third or fourth driver gets in and it's uh that person is you know causing Rex endangering himself and everyone else and it's like oh boy okay you're coming up on this guy I, mean, I don't even remember how many times in a race that it's been like alright you remember this guy right don't don't get close to him if you get within one car width like that's a danger zone be careful and, and I found too like one of the things I'm learning is try not to, like you just can't make enemies because it will come <laughs> back like it will come back to haunt you you know I remember last year, one of the guys that I was in the car with was driving aggressively. I'm not going to name names, but I'm sure you all know who I'm talking about. He has and two first names is his name. <laughs> he was driving <laughs> He was driving very, very aggressively, and he caused a few incidents. And then I got in the car, and, like, I'm not him. But every time those cars either came by to pass me or I was passing them... Uh, I was raced very difficultly, you know, like lap down cars racing me very hard and, and uh, <laughs> flashing you know, pin- lights. Yeah, flashing lights and pinching me off and, and breaking deeper than they should have just to get closer to me and make me nervous, you know. So that's another, you know, element of it is, is try not to make too many enemies. And um, yeah, that, that's that was my big takeaway from last year because, like, I just remember how crappy it felt getting in the car and, like, oh, these guys got totally dumped in Blanchemont. Like, I'm gonna, I'm it's gonna. A, it's a good rule of life. Really. <laughs> yeah, treat others like like you'd have them treat you. Um, race others like you wish to be raced. Yes, that's like, oh, that's, that's yeah. I race others like others race me. That's not always the. It doesn't always end <laughs> up well, but, <laughs> but. But that's still the goal. <laughs> yes, yeah. So that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Yeah, and of course you can uh, you can watch all our streams on the YouTube channel youtube.com slash hugeass and we'll have updates on the Instagram and the Twitter as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the section of the podcast where we'd normally bring a guest in. Um, but today we just had to do something a little bit different. Yeah, so, what, so what's happening today, Godfrey? Well, we decided that um, it would be good for us to kind of do more than a generic introduction and actually have a background. So today, we're going to kind of focus the same sort of questions and topics towards one of our own, and our lucky little lab rat is Mr. Tom Ellison. <laughs> oh, good. So, so excited. Yeah, Hi, yeah, Tom. So th- Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, thanks, guys. Let's, let's let's drag, him, here. drag him into the room. Drag, drag me in, drag me in, drop me here, and let's uh, let's see what see what you guys are going on about. Hi, Tom. How are you doing today? Hey, Alex. I'm doing okay. How are you? Ooh, downgraded to Alex from Alexander. Yeah, I guess... we're not being friendly anymore. Oh, All right. So for he's those of you who don't he's know... He's got his back up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those of you who don't know, Tom was not born here, or was not raised his entire life here in America. I, I've... 
Um, yeah, it was definitely born here, though. Yeah, yeah. Interesting story. Fourth of July in Boston, huh? In the cradle of the revolution, uh, I am the most American person you can possibly imagine, apart from the accent and upbringing. And immediately, it was pretty soon after you moved to the United Kingdom, right? Six months. Okay. Six months of the first six months of my life was spent in Boston, and then my parents were moving back after two years in the states, uh, moving back to the UK, and that's where I stayed for the next several twenty-three years or so. Several twenty-three years. Okay. Several twenty-three years. <laughs> Tom's Many actually ninety years millennia. old. <laughs> <laughs> he was serious about the cradle of the revolution. He was there with uh, I was chasing there down the Paul Revere. It was Revere. great. Yeah. Um, so Tom, going back towards your childhood and just mm-hmm. I, just racing as a fan, um, what what series did you follow? What did you have upbringing that kind of attracted you, not just to racing but car culture in general? So my dad's into cars. There's there's can be little little argument about that. <laughs> um, so he, when he was you know growing up, he was into cars, and then when he was a young adult at university and, and when he was training to be a doctor, he competed in uh, amateur rallying in the UK. Um, so he had that culture of um, competition and motorsport. And so I always grew up around that. He had a series of, you know, when, we, when I was growing up as a young boy, had a series of sort of vaguely interesting sporty cars as a sort of a, out of the hobby, a series of fast forwards and then a couple of BMWs um, E30 M3s and E36 M3s so that was like my gateway to motorsport and you know we'd, he'd watch the Formula 1 when he was growing when I was growing up and you know Sunday afternoon in the UK and I would just get into it organically um, so you know early 90s 93, 94 I remember being very aware of the death of Ethan Center in, uh, in May 94 uh, that was sort of a watershed moment and how old were you at the time? I would have been eight, uh, seven, just seven, just about to be eight huh. at that time, and that was sort of when I, when I realized what this sport meant to the world as a whole. And that age can really was, galvanize. It's a very formative time, I think, and that and that can really impact you as you're growing up. So that's when I really started to take an interest in it, and learn about it, and just watch all that I could as a, as a small, small lad. Okay, what about anything um, more local other than Formula One or I mean I after after I really got into F one, like I started to get into other motorsport. Uh British touring cars were very, very big at that time in the in the mid to late nineties. Um Bergen so back. we used to go Saloon we used to go Thruxton, racing, which is our local track in Hampshire, to see the opening rounds each year. Mm. That was awesome, the super touring era. And I also started go karting at that point as well, and local, you know, indoor tracks. And competitively, really or that. just for fun? No, just for fun. Like I wasn't competing against anybody at that point. It was just like arrive you know, and do your best price. and have a good time. Yeah, arrive, reduce price sessions on like Saturday mornings, and see what you can learn and have fun with whoever else is on track. So it wasn't you know terribly competitive, but it was a good introduction. And then. Um you also have done some driving on tracks over there, right? Yeah, so um, I first hit the track um, at Croft Circuit, which is up in the northeast of England. Um, and it was like, I think it was my 16th, 17th birthday present was an afternoon of track experience um, in a Janetta. 
Ooh, so that was the nice. first. The first car I drove on track was a Ginetta. Um, what model? Was like you know, G twenty, G twenty, I think. Okay. Um, I think it was the first car I drove on track. It was the first car I then subsequently spun on track. <laughs> As always. Um, which is, you know, that's that's how you learn, frankly. Yep. You yep. find the limit, and then you go slightly beyond it, and then you learn not to do that again. Um, so that was fun, and then that was sort of the gateway into more track experience um, at various circuits around the UK, and also I started karting at university more competitively because we had a karting team as part of the university sporting club that would compete in races, outdoor karts against other universities. That's pretty interesting. Um, so, did that first time that you went out on track? I mean, did that really solidify that that's something you wanted to do for the long term, or is it just like, oh yeah, that's pretty fun. I'd like to do it again. No, it was it was definitely a case of I've been wanting to do this for you know five six years, and it was everything that I thought it was going to be. And how can I get out on track again as quickly as possible? Got it Evan was, Merrill syndrome. <laughs> the Evan Merrill syndrome. Um, but of course, it's been difficult. First, obviously, as a, as a penniless student in the UK, um, where you don't really have the money to, to buy track machines or uh, or anything like that. And then moving after university to New York City, where I live still to this day, um, where really there is no space at all to have anything like as luxurious as a garage or any space to maintain any sort of track car hmm. um, so for that reason I've had to look and little, be a little bit more creative in trying to find excuses and ways to get on track and that's really how I got into iRacing initially and why I've been so excited to then drive the real world HJ transition to champ car racing hmm. and you've done let's see how many events have you run with champ car so far uh, I've done, including Indy, yes. uh, five. Okay, so the first one, if I remember right, was the VIR North, is that right? VIR uh, South, South track. And in March 2017. Was that your yep. first wheel-to-wheel racing? That was my first, outside of karting, that was my first wheel-to-wheel racing, for sure. Huh. Um, first time driving a, a, a race-prepared car in that respect in a wheel-to-wheel situation. And um, what was your nerves when you're, you know, going out there for your first time? Like, I, I'm i not going to lie. Like, I try and be very sort of... I try and give an air of being very laid back and sort of calm when when faced with, uh, with, with a new challenge. But my, my heart rate was up there. You fake as, out yourself almost. <laughs> as the door closed and, like, you're in this, this frankly, alien environment where you're, you're strapped into this five-point harness in a full constraint seat limited where, vision you know, limited vision wearing a hands device window net up surrounded by a full cage and you're accelerating out of this with this unsilenced car onto a live hot track like that's a very daunting experience and a lot of sensory input initially but it was interesting because after that that moment of panic that passed very quickly and by the time you got to turn 1 you think, yeah, okay, I've, I've been in this situation before, I know what to do, let's get on with it. Plus you have to focus, you can't be terrified the whole time, or right. you'll, <laughs> you'll die. There's no, time to, there's no time to doubt what you're doing, you just have to get on with it. And like, so It was it was great. So was, was that great. your most memorable moment, or was there anything 
what was your most memorable moment driving, whether it's wheel to wheel or not? If you could just single out one time that really it, stood out yeah. to you. So that would be the first year we did VIR 24 in 2017. So that was our second ever Champ Car Race team. And, you know, we were still <laughs> very much beginners. Um, we'd never driven the full course of VIR before outside of the sim. And we had you know, a little trailer and uh, I think there were maybe eight, eight or nine guys with the team that, that year. And first time that we'd ever driven wheel to wheel at night before. And then there was a downpour at 2 a.m. <laughs> and I've heard, I've I remember heard so many stories of this rain. This, this was, so, it was possibly some of the hardest rain I've ever experienced anywhere, regardless of it being a racetrack or not. It was a, a truly epic downpour. And I was scheduled in the car from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. And I got in the car, and I went out onto this track, which was completely sodden. Rain was still falling, although it would stop about halfway through that stint. And it was just the most fun I've ever had in a, in a race car. Yeah, because those of you that um, don't know, in the Carolinas, Virginia area, when it pours, it is so intense that if you're driving somewhere, you get out of your car and walk to the door, you'll be soaked like you jumped in a pool yeah it, it was it was really wet and like the track was sodden it was flooded in some points you had rivers running across the circuit from right to left where the camber fitted it and you had to in the first half hour or so out there you had to really learn where the puddles were where the rivers were but after that you got into a rhythm especially in our car which is not the most powerful in the field but is light and is agile would you, you could say really start would you say that the Miata is like the 911 of Champ Car when it comes to rain? <laughs> uh, with better handling, yes. Um, with better weight distribution, for sure. Yes. But certainly we have an advantage in the rain just because we have a light, nimble car that can is very predictable to drive. And I, I, I have still have a very, very clear memory of that race coming out of Oak Tree Corner, which is towards the back of the circuit onto the, to the longest straight, completely sideways in the car because I'd hit a puddle on the apex and the car just snapped and I corrected came out completely sideways laughing while I did it because it felt <laughs> so natural and passing a car on the inside while I was sideways on the outside <laughs> and thinking yeah this is really cool at this point so that was number one um, let's talk yeah. about maybe maybe some lows and not the recent ones where was a time that you maybe had some self doubt or you're like oh crap I don't know if I can do this uh, it's, it's certainly the first race was daunting, uh, as I as I touched on. Just you talking um, about the days and weeks leading up to it, or the minutes leading yes, up to it, or while you're yeah, on track. Well, once as I said, once I, once you get on track, you can you can deal with it as it is. But in the week beforehand, when you start to think, hang on, we've committed a lot of money, a lot of time this venture when really none of us have any idea what we're doing that's when the doubt sets in and you really need to you know take a step back and, and rationalize with yourself that actually this is worthwhile and this this will be something that'll be fun to be doing I wouldn't say I've necessarily had too many lows on track just purely driving um, I've had some scary moments for sure um, 
there was a time in in the last VIR24 when went off track completely at high speed due to some oil that had been dropped on the circuit by a car in front. But at night, at night, <laughs> at going round and round and down over a hill. Um, are you nocturnal? Or you just trust yourself, or is that just you get the short end of the stick every time? So that that's so I, as part of my role within the team. Um, take on a sort of administrative role when planning these these race events and I am partially responsible for the driver scheduling and historically I've always given myself the more difficult stints just because I think A, that's that's what's what you should do as someone who's leading a team is you should you should um, lead from the front and not, and not hide behind uh, other people's excuses and also because I have a little bit more track experience than people who are coming direct from the sim as we've talked about like it's better to give them proper experience in the light, yeah. In a, you know a fresher car, and so that just means that in the last two twenty fours, I've done the majority of my stints in the dark. Um, I trust myself to be sensible and not be as overwhelmed as someone might be. Trust or stupidity? One of those two. <laughs> one, one of those things. Um, so far, it's worked out, um, but I think um, we're lucky now that. We have more experience as a driver pool as a whole, and maybe I can give myself a uh, a nice stint next time and uh, actually focus on getting some quick laps in. Mm. Yeah, and so you've done. I know that you just did recently um, Indy. Before that, you did Barber with an HPDE. Mm -hmm. um, you've done a lot of driving in a lot of different areas and locales and tracks and cars. I mean, if I remember right, the Barber HPDE did. You're in some pretty pretty high horsepower cars, right? Yeah, so um, I'm lucky that uh, my father, who's also in the States now, my, my parents uh, are based in uh, in the mid-south of Memphis, and he's continued his, his appreciation of motorsport and uh, collecting some interesting cars, and he's recently taken delivery of a GT3 RS Porsche, and we decided to take it down to Barber and uh, introduce it to the track for the first time. Mm. So and that was really fun <laughs> i believe it. i don't think uh, i don't think anyone <laughs> doubts you on that no. i think that's an understatement if anything but it, it was very interesting in that that's that's really i mean that's by far the fastest car i've ever driven on track to this point but it still felt so trustworthy and reliable that you could build up speed gradually it wasn't going to bite it was perfectly predictable and you could get up to some serious speeds. And that's, again, testament to the sim, whereby you know the fundamentals already, you know the fundamentals of the track you're driving, like Barber's in the sim. We've done hundreds of laps around there in various machine mm -hmm. in iRacing. So the line's already done. Like You're not going to be worrying about finding the racing line. You know where the racing line is. That's out the window. So then you can focus that proportion of your brain concentration to other matters in the car. Mm -hmm. And you can handle the job of adapting to this change in pace and adapting to the challenges of the specific vehicle that much more quickly because you already have the fundamentals locked away in that part of the brain that deals with that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very valuable again. Um, and after that, like once you started getting used to that car, it's a blast. Mm -hmm. uh, so you talked about done hundreds of laps, and that it's not just Sparber, that's VIR, NDE, and... Watkins mm -hmm. and everywhere that you've raced that's in the sim, do you try to brush up before 
the race by trying to hop in a likewise car at the track or do you just rely on the fact that you've done so many laps that you already know the line and you're like oh, i'm good enough no i think it's still very very valuable to um to give yourself a refresher immediately before any particular event um indy is an example this last weekend i found out fairly late that i would be driving this turbo sub for our bank which is a front-wheel drive turbocharged car, which is very different and very alien from the, the Miata experiences that we've had so far with Champ Car. So I loaded up the Indy Road Course, and I loaded up the Volkswagen Jetta hey. in iRacing. An underappreciated car, I think you will agree. No, absolutely Overappreciated. Okay. That car it's, it's, is garbage. The, that car the is, fact is, that it even exists is baffling. But... I will defend it now. I did, a few laps. <laughs> I did a few laps in it, just getting used to the line again. Again, working out, you know, you can't really judge like shift points and braking points because they're going to be fundamentally different in a race situation. But the, the racing line is going to be the same. So you figure out where you turn in and you figure out roughly how a car with those dynamics responds to, to inputs. And it, that was valuable because mm -hmm. when I got into that Saab for my first stint on Saturday at Indy, I was able to to know how a front-wheel drive car would behave at, at turn-in to these different points on the circuit. And, you know, all the weights on the front yeah. end on the nose and the rear's very light. And sure enough, when I turned into turn five at Indy, the rear of the car started coming around because there's no weight on it at that point. And it's exactly what had happened to the Jetta and I knew exactly how to correct for it. Which is and there was less stress. Which is very valuable because coming from a rear wheel drive platform, driving front wheel drive is almost opposite. Like everything is is opposite of what yeah. you would do in a, in a rear wheel drive car. Like in a rear wheel drive car, if you start losing the rear end like that, you're, you're gonna save it in a completely different way. Like a front wheel drive car, if you lose the rear end, you just plant your right foot, and Correct. and and it's totally opposite. So just getting that mindset and that rhythm down and it's so valuable and i think i think that helped me get up to speed a lot faster than it would have done without that experience but i think that's important too you. you're not wasting time okay well this is okay this is how this works oh well that's how it happens when we do this you kind of have that base understanding and you can go from a learning experience to a fun experience very quickly exactly your, your starting point is that much higher up the curve and Therefore, you can progress along that curve further than you would have done if you were starting lower down. Yeah. So you've been lucky enough or unlucky enough to live in the United States and overseas. <laughs> um, in, so you've got to experience different car cultures, different racing cultures as a fan and as a driver. What, mm -hmm. what are some of the similarities between the way that British approach motorsport from a fan aspect, from a driving aspect also as car culture versus over here in the states so i fundamentally they're the same i think car car people are car people wherever you go there's there's a there's a fundamental appreciation of this sport and this culture that surrounds it in that supporters from from either side will have an appreciation of the history have an appreciation of the talent and the personalities that surround the history and would enjoy the spectacle of whatever whatever floats their boat you know from nascar to touring cars to drag racing to to rallying whatever that said um 
the UK fans I find generally to be a little more um, vociferous, a little more aggressive, I would say. Quicker to jump on the boat, quicker to jump off the boat. Quicker quicker to criticize. Mm. Um, I don't know whether that's, if that's a national trait or not. <laughs> um, I may be guilty of that myself on occasion. Um, but there's certainly... I think... Um, I think it would be more appropriate to say you'd be innocent of that on occasion. <laughs> um, so, the British fans are very, um, very knowledgeable and very quick to to anger, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. Mm-hmm. Whereas America seems to be a little bit um, more accepting. And there's, there's more of a... Um, there's there's less of a tribal atmosphere at these at these races and events, where everyone's just having a good time to enjoy the motorsport rather than putting their emotions into the success or failures of a particular driver or team or car. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's pretty funny because you, if you were to quantify American sports in general, um, quick to jump to decisions, very brash, very arrogant would be a very American thing. It would, and I think I think that's that that would be applicable if you were talking about well American football baseball or whatever but because i guess britain has a bigger heritage and history of motorsport success on a global stage than the us does the supporters feel like they have more of a of a personal buy in to that success and like we you can go back to like 1976 with james hunt at brands hatch there was almost a riot in the stands if if he wasn't going to be allowed to take the restart we saw track invasions at the height of Nigel Mansell's fame in Silverstone in the late eighties, early nineties. Like, there's always been this this tribal atmosphere around British success in motorsport because of that history and that that weight of uh, expectation that sits behind it. And so, other differences for driving or just styles or appreciation, anything like that. I mean, obviously, like oval racing is not a thing oh, anywhere else. <laughs> Let, let's be frank; like, that's an American thing, oh, yeah. and I. As, as as a driver and as a fan of motorsport, I can appreciate it entirely for for the skill and the uh, the the excitement that surrounds it in the U.S. But in the U.K., it's treated completely dismissively. Yeah. It's not it's not a thing. Which I think is part of the reason, which is cool with the sim, is I've I've heard so many different people like who strictly join to to do road racing. And then, obviously, the sim provides you with some base content for oval racing. And seeing people that would never in a million years even consider watching a NASCAR race or, or doing any oval racing, they might do it and say, well, let's just see what it's about. And then they come out of it and they go, oh, I get it now. Like, it makes sense. It, it, yeah. So, I, yeah. I, but it, it is that, very that, interesting. That would have been me. That would have been me 10 years ago. I would never have considered watching a NASCAR race or or certainly trying it in a sim. Right. But having been introduced to it through the league that we run and through li- just living amongst the Americans, amongst the clients, <laughs> um, that, that, you know, it's, it's a bit of the culture that, that uh, just infects you by, by osmosis and, and yeah. you get to, you get to appreciate that on some level. The and funny, I'm the funny thing is I'm like the opposite. Like I joined I racing to do oval racing and now I hardly do it right. at all. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. But well, the heart, the heart wants what it wants, right. and it'll find, it'll find a way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, Tom, moving forward, you've done all sorts of driving with different cars. You, you're co-owner of a car. You've also raced wheel to wheel with different companies or you know teams. 
what what would be your short-term goals and you know look forward look in your crystal ball 10 20 30 years what what would you like to accomplish so very short-term goal get the car on track for VAR in a couple of weeks time. <laughs> <laughs> let's do a medium-term goal then <laughs> medium-term goal i would like to see um huge ass develop um once we get this this car sorted then i think we're, we're in a good position to have some stability in the next couple of years with the champ car and to to keep doing what we're doing and to, to gain experience in doing that after that then you know i think i think that will always be a part of me and you know if we keep doing that and keep bringing in drivers to to experience wheel-to-wheel racing with our with our own car then I, I always want to be a part of that personally speaking um i think as you know i get the opportunity to to maybe earn some more money and to, to purchase track cars of my own i'd like i'd like to have um a track car maybe something like a 911 maybe um what uh what model would you like if money was you know I, no no object you can just pick and choose based off your preferences so my my personal preference for any sort of car is light and nimble um not necessarily heavy and powerful um I love the 911 964 RS lightweight as a car. Okay. Um, I that's a pipe dream. Obviously, I think they made like twenty five of them in history. Um, but there are nice 964s out there at the moment for for not so much money. Uh, so I think that could be a reasonable goal in the next ten years or so. That's the one that nice a couple tool. times a year you just peek in, look at the price, and you're like, all right, maybe, maybe one day. I look at it, think, mm, not horrific. <laughs> <laughs> I probably but, won't get divorced. Yeah, I, I could probably argue my case for this. <laughs> is that what it is, the elevators, right? Like, one side is, what's the chances I get divorced? And as that elevator goes down, you're like, ooh, now it's at 20% chance I'll get divorced. All right, 10% chance. I mean, I, I will I will credit my, my good wife, who has been on the podcast before, uh, Zasha. She's always been very understanding of my peculiar compulsion to fling fling a car around a track at high speed and uh understands that on some on some level even though she's not she's not one for it herself um so i think you know if the time were right then then i could uh i certainly i could certainly get away with having a little track toy uh i don't know if i'd want to do any more wheel-to-wheel racing necessarily at a higher level um i don't think that i particularly would have the budget or the uh the time or the inclination to, to really throw myself into that when you know we have a good thing going on with champ car oh come on but i can I see like... you i can see you being a a gentleman driver at lamar driving uh, a... well i mean if we're talking powerball winnings <laughs> yeah for sure driving a, a 911 you know gte am yeah i can see i it. mean yeah if if we're talking lottery winnings then <laughs> i think Fun, funding the team huge ass entrance to the nurburgring 24 hours would be the, oh, the ultimate all dream. right all right. Um, I th- I think you guys would be behind me on oh, that. Oh, yes. 100%. <laughs> I would like so to be first win- driver because otherwise I wouldn't get to drive. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we, if we win the lottery, that's what's going to happen. But mm. until then, uh, we'll keep chugging along with Armiata and Champ Car and, uh, and see what uh, the future will I think be. that's the lottery thing for all of HGA. Like, if someone <laughs> in our team hits the lottery, all right, boys, we're going to Germany. There's an, there's an understanding there. Oh, yeah. that, uh, that there's a social there's a social contract been drawn up. That <laughs> if anyone wins the lottery, the Nordschleifer is the next stop. Yeah, <laughs> it would be uh, it would be an interesting time. 
but no, I think that's I think that's interesting. I think it's great to see just kind of the progression of um, from fan to driver to you know future where you can't really see, but you have goals and aspirations towards. Of course, um, you know this is a, a hobby that uh, you can never get tired of. You can always learn new things and always experience new things. And as long as you have a support base of a, of a you know, good group of mates like we have in the team, then there's nothing to stop you continuing and growing and uh, enjoying the journey. Which one mm. day I intend to do. I haven't done wheel to wheel yet, but I think that's going to be soon trademark. I look forward to it. <laughs> so anything uh, else? No, um, that's. I think that's that's a decent, uh, a decent little history of of my own experiences, and uh, we will uh, look forward. But going back to the the short term uh, plans, look forward to getting back out on track at VIR in a, in a few weeks' time. Yep. And I think you know all three of us going to be there for the weekend. I uh, yes. have another uh, cruise I'm going on. Oh wow! Look at this guy back back to the pirate life. Nah, I'm just kidding. I, uh, <laughs> I as much as I enjoyed my cruise, it was it was really hard and stressful on me. Um, I probably can't do another one for at least like a month. Oh well, I understand. I mean, have one have one immediately after VR to to get over. That was harder. The honest. lounging or the drinking? <laughs> the, well, the lounging was hard because you're lounging and you want to drink, but it doesn't <laughs> magically appear in front of you. So. Uh, I mean, why why does bad things happen to good people? Right, you're on a beach, and unfortunately it just doesn't come, and then you have to go to a different beach, and then you have to get on a boat, and then there's different bars you have to walk to. It was difficult. Sounds awful. Different people offering you things. and sounds sounds terrible. It was really, really, really hard time in my life. (laughs) So uh, tune in next time for more Tales of the High Seas (laughs) from Crawford. Um, But until then... um, we will wrap it up for today, I think. Yep. Um, another great podcast in the books. And, of course, if you're uh, listening out there and you want to get in touch with us, um, please email us. Our email address is hjmpodcast at gmail.com. That's hjmpodcast at gmail.com. Looking forward to your feedback. And you can follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter and all those good things as part of the HJ Motorsport brand. Brand. But brand. <laughs> so much brand. So we'll leave it at that today. Uh, thank you all for, for listening. I've been Tom Ellison. With me have been Andrew Fawcett. So long. And Alexander Coffin. Have fun. <laughs> all right. Thanks, y'all. Peace.